You guys see this uh, TechCrunch is running the, rest- the story about uh, Avast did this uh, report this morning that reveals uh, a new form of malware on the Google Play Store, which begins to display advertisements disguised as warning messages to end users when they unlock their Android smartphone. So, like, it, I guess it waits? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be just a different version of, like, any other website that just on mobile? Because I remember, like, some websites try to freak you out and just... Right, but, well, I think the particular one here is that it's you're not opening an app. It's just happening as soon as you unlock the device. That's what it says, wow. yeah. Like, yeah, they show a card game that it's it's embedded in, uh, an IQ test game, a history app were also found well, to be infected. Yes, yeah, it's like as if people haven't learned by now, don't install random IQ test apps. Well, I think, I think they haven't. Yeah, so here's a video of it. Let's see what happens. Let's, uh, let's find out. So they got, a, they got an Android device here, and they say, uh, okay, now I'll unlock it. Oh, when they say unlock it, they don't mean unlock the phone. They mean unlock the screen. What's so when, when you unlock the screen, it brings up you an urgent prompt to do something at the Google Play Store, and then it gets uh-huh. your stuff. Okay, so I misread unlock is actually like unlocking the device, but they just mean disabling the screen protection. Okay, that is much more, that is much, that, okay, that's a bigger problem. That's going to hit a lot more I'm people. I'm slightly confused what the difference between <clears throat> unlocking the phone and unlocking the phone is. Well, unlocking the screen just to wake it up versus like unlocking the phone to move it to a different carrier or like rooting uh, right, right, it, right, right. right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just when you, when you enter your PIN code. Yeah, or slide the little thing, it comes up and, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that Google ever had urgent warnings or something. No, I don't. I guess it's but all. I need to update false. software. It normally just shows up as a yeah. notification. I guess users probably wouldn't know that, though. I just can't fathom. I mean, I, I, I don't know what it is, but I just can't fathom why people switch distro. I mean, I get it if you're a distro reviewer. I get it if you are. Well, I get it if you've got ADHD or some other <laughs> medical condition that forces you to, like, must have change, must have change. I get that. But I can't, like cool for papers. the other ninety percent, I can't understand why people do it. Why I know a lot of people switch distros I, I because of an experience they had inside of a distro. It, it, yeah. it's that I, I don't know. I hate change so much that I yeah, distro hopping makes no sense to me. It's got to be. I, I always try to settle on a distro, but if something happens, then I might switch. It's got to be the grass is greener thing. You know, you you get frustrated or something just isn't quite right. It's not quite how you want it. You know, in this case, Unity's great, but now Eric's having problems with Compiz, and maybe he keeps having problems with Compiz, and something wears him down. He starts thinking, gosh, you know, I'd really like to try this. And so I think it's like a grass is greener kind of thing. It's partially right. that, but for me, it's also a matter of, okay, there's some, yeah, there's something not working right in this case, but it works right over here, so let me try that for a while, see how I like it. Right, but, also, but if, in, in your house, if, you, if yeah. you didn't like the wallpaper in the bathroom, you don't knock the entire house down and build a new one and then wallpaper the bathroom. You don't? You fix the wallpaper in the bathroom. Well, no, I, I just switch out the furnace. I, 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 find that, I find that it's because the current distro I'm on doesn't actually reach my expectations and I just want to move to another one. The other thing... The other the, th- the other thing with me is I just like to try it out, see what it's like, basically because, and that's one of the things that is cool about being a distro hopper and being a producer for this network, I can offer a lot of v- valid input based on a plethora of knowledge. Here's, and, uh, here's the undisputable facts. All distributions have little wiggle points that people don't like that drive them crazy and make them want to use a different distribution. Ergo, everyone should just use Arch. Fix the problems that don't work for them <laughs> and enjoy the master race distro. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's jonesing for that new Raspberry Pi. My name is Chris. And my name is Matt. Hey there, Matt. I, I'm not normally the guy that gets into these really small gadgets, but when they're talking three to six times the performance, well, maybe I, 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 I could throw a Mate on that, you know, maybe even go. Oh, yeah. Hey, I'm just thinking. You never know. So now I kind of want one. Thirty-five bucks. We're going to talk more about it in the second half of the show. It looks like a pretty cool gadget, and uh, of course we got folks in the mumble room that are all about them Raspberry Pis. So we'll get their take on it. Uh, but before we get to that in the show this week, we're going to get a little recap of Fosdom. Now, unfortunately, and maybe this will be the last time. I don't know. I'll see after I get the report. We weren't able to make it out to Fosdom, uh, but that is across the pond, and it is a great open source conference. And uh, Popey and others in the Mumble Room made it, and they're going to give us their update. I think I'm going to be totally jelly, too, so that's cool. I think that's going to make me go next year, but we'll find out. So I think it's going to be a good show, Matt. 
Nice. We got a lot of stuff to cover, and we also got some some surprisingly great feedback this week. Just when I was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know if yeah, I yeah. really, I don't know if I really want to do feedback, and then I and then I saw this stuff, and I'm like, okay, we got to talk about this. So <laughs> before, just to make our next, to make our first email uh, a little more poignant, I want to talk about a development uh, that's recently occurred. Uh, and uh, it's it's been talked about in our Linux ActionShare subreddit a bit. It's not technically Linux news, uh, but you'll see why I want why I want to bring this up. But it's come out that Google, Amazon, and Microsoft are reportedly paying the AdBlock extension that you might have in your browser to allow their ads to pass through AdBlock's filter software. Uh, the confidential details were confirmed by the Financial Times uh, in a paper that came out on Tuesday that we were recording this. So uh, I mentioned that. <coughs> Because uh, that brings us to our first email. So to cover our first email, let's bring in our Mumble Room. Hey, Mumble Room, time appropriate greetings, guys. Hello. 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 There's lots of people. I'm hungry for pie. It is a lot. So, yeah, we will get to pie. Uh, so guest one wrote in specifically addressing the Mumble Room. It says, hello, everyone reading this email. During Linux Unplugged 77, the Mumble Room commented that Adblock is heavy. And I'm here to present you with a solution. It's called uBlock, pronounced uBlock. Uh, and it's a you decide what enters your browser. uBlock supports Chrome, Firefox, Opera, and Safari, and it's licensed under the GPL3. And he links us to it on GitHub. So I just wanted to pass that along to the audience. I'm not a big yeah. fan of ad blocks because uh, a you know people got to get paid, and b if that's how people want to represent their work and their website, then I think I should be able to take that into my judgment about their property. And when I block the ad, sometimes I don't see some of that. And I don't see some of the decisions they're making from a content standpoint, uh, and so I make maybe the incorrect judgment. Uh, not to uh, not to p- point out uh, and single out our buddy uh, Mr. Michael over at Pharonix, but uh, I had been a user, I've been a reader of Pharonix for a while with uh, sorry Michael, but with AdBlock turned on, and I had a re you know I kind of had a a rethinking of this, and I thought, boy, I really shouldn't do that. You know, the man you know the man deserves to eat, and I've been reading his stuff, so I disabled my ad blocker on Pharonix, and I I was. I was so taken back by like pop up ads and you know cover up ads and like I, I really haven't gone back much anymore, uh, just because it was so off putting and, and I felt like that gave me a different impression of the website when I had AdBlock on versus when I had it off enough that it changed my opinion about visiting the site. Well, I can kind of give you my perspective yeah. on it. Um, it's both as a publisher and as someone that visits websites. Um, so I've worked with. So I guess the the short, long and short of it, it comes down to this: I will take. Adblock and whitelist any site that I plan on visiting on a regular basis. Oh, okay. I want to support them. I, I dig them. They're great. Um, now, if it's a website that I want to visit on a regular basis that is going to pollute me with crap, then that gets a little sticky. I may, in fact, just adblock them and figure, hey, you know, I'll, I'll support them in other ways. We'll find something else to, yeah. to have happen. Maybe I'll promote them or talk about their stuff or some other way of supporting them. But ad, ad blocking software is a, fa- is a tool that allows us to choose how we want to interpret our content. The problem is, is that, especially in a tech community, ads in like, uh, you know, like banner ads and AdSense ads and things like that aren't terribly effective. Um, they're just – they're historically not. They're very effective in non-tech circles, but in tech circles, they're pretty – it's pretty hit and miss. Right. I kind of just tune them out. Yeah, people want engagement uh, advertisement. I mean, well, they don't necessarily want advertisement, but they tend to respond better to that. So anytime you've got something on a web page blinking at you, especially with pop-ups, I mean, come on, right? Yeah. Nobody needs that no, nonsense. No, so anything you can do to block that. Yeah, yeah. It's, get rid of it. Get yeah. it out of here. Uh, Heaven's Revenge, you had some comment on the uh, uBlock project itself. Yes, I've been using uBlock ever since it was coded up. I love it. It uses half the RAM of AdBlock Plus, oh. and it gives a lot of preset block lists in their configuration. And it actually load, helps pages load a couple milliseconds, maybe 150 milliseconds faster than when using oh, wow. AdBlock Plus. No kidding. Yes, no kidding. I've done my benchmarks. <laughs> they say so, that yeah, I right now. Like here's their philosophy. UBlock is not an ad blocker. It's a general purpose blocker. UBlock blocks ad search support of the AdBlock Plus filter syntax. Uh, but it's, uh, it can work with custom rules and filters. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's completely Eaten. compatible with all the AdBlock <laughs> syntax, and I recommend it here quite often. Wow, it actually says that the overall memory footprint is less than with no blocker running. How can they claim that? Uh, it's because when you actually go and you block oh, things yeah. and it isn't oh, rendered sure. by it. doesn't yeah. have to load it. That yeah, thing. makes sense. Yeah, exactly. yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. And way less CPU usage, too. Yeah, well, AdBlock has gotten big. I'll give you that. So you block well, it is, huh? Well, and not only that, but it sounds like they've t- completely sold out for what they were trying to do to begin with. Yeah. And cool. these guys got lots of graphs, lots of statistics. And yeah, they do. I'm generally a bad person. I just block everything. 
It's, well, it's I just also, installed it, and I'm really impressed. This is, wow. It's also really easy to block things. You don't have to right-click on the menus. You just have to click on that giant power button, and it blocks that site. It stops blocking that site for you instead of you having to go through all these settings. So uBlock sounds like it's, it's a hit. a little bit unusual. Oh, this is awesome, yeah, dude. Yeah, you got to check this out. Create your own custom filter. You, you, you'll get used to it. It's really different when you make your custom filter. But other than that, it's good. Tyler, I want to give you a chance to I'll recommend in. it anyway. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to add, you know, sometimes I feel you don't even need an ad blocker to get rid of the annoying stuff. Just uh, block Flash from the get-go and yeah. block certain scripts. That's not a bad catch-all for sure. Mm. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> All right. Uh, Christian wrote in. Check this out, Matt. How cool is this? Christian, he says, I'm from Vivaldi. And I want to talk. We were talking about the Vivaldi browser last week. This is yeah. a longtime Jupiter Broadcasting fan, which is super cool. And I listen to all your tech shows as soon as they come out the door. I also happen to work for Vivaldi here in the U.S., although I'm a Norwegian. We're a company with developers and business people all over the world, but I'm located outside of Boston with a couple other other employees of Vivaldi. Before Vivaldi, I worked in Opera since the end of the last century, which is also when I installed Linux for the first time, and I've never looked back at any other OS. We are, of course, very excited about launching Vivaldi, which is the browser we hoped Opera would become, and Linux is important to us, as both as other OSs some people use and our own. Keep up the good work, and to make sure to be always supporting Linux. How cool is that? That is so awesome. I love that, and I love the fact that he reached out like that. <laughs> yeah, Christian, we'll uh, see if we can't sync up and uh, maybe have you on a future show to talk about what you guys are doing, and maybe uh, if uh, you can, talk about some of the interesting things about developing the browser for Linux. I'd be pretty curious about that. So I'm really glad he emailed us. I'm glad I caught it, too. That's uh, awesome. Because you never know. Uh, and, of course, we want your emails, too. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click the contact link, and choose Linux Unplug from the dropdown. We have one more quick email and then two, two shout-outs to get to. But first, I want to tell you about something amazing, and that's Linux Academy. Go over to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged to get our special Linux Unplugged discount. They want to give the Linux users a special discount because they're super passionate Linux users. That's really where Linux Unplugged got started. There, it's a resource for you to use to further your own education. And the reason why I think Linux Academy is something specifically for our audience to consider is because if you are going out in the field of anything around Linux or any a major open source technologies like OpenStack or even AWS, you could, there's training in a lot of places. But none of them are like Linux Academy because Linux Academy was created by Linux users themselves who are crazy passionate. They considered launching a podcast network and then decided, well, Jupyter Broadcasting has got that down. So let's do something else. Let's do education. And they have developers that they brought in and educators they brought in. In fact, they have live streams with the educators, which is a great experience. You can ask those questions in real time. They have so many amazing courses for you to take. Uh, I like to talk about some of the newer ones because I think they're really on the cutting edge of the latest, coolest technology in Linux, the stuff that you probably want to keep your skill set fresh on anyways, which is another really great benefit of Linux Academy. But, you know, what I'll talk about, what I've started doing is I just started taking the Ruby for on Linux courseware. And that's another thing I love about Linux Academy is a lot of the online educational resources out there, you could go learn Ruby from other places, right? And what's it going to tell you to do? It's going to tell you how to set up your Mac to do Ruby development. Well, that doesn't apply to me, right? But Linux Academy is designed by Linux users for Linux users. So everything's for Linux users. So it's getting set up and developing in Ruby on the Linux desktop, right? That that closes that gap. That makes it so much more useful for me. And I look at that and I say, okay, well, I'm going to take five and a half hours to learn Ruby. I can wrap my brain around that. I get that. That is an achievable goal, something that I can attack. It's not this big nebulous thing. How the hell am I going to learn Ruby? Oh, I'm going to learn Ruby because Linux Academy has coursewares on it, and it's going to take me five and a half hours. That's how I'm going to learn Ruby. That is kind of the confidence and direction that I need to actually get off my butt and do it. And they have learning plans where you can set your availability. So depending on how much time you have free, the courseware will automatically adjust to that and send you reminders for that, which is, think about that. That's crazy. Cool. And you can download the study guides on the go so you can read when you have a little bit of extra time, including like the walkthrough stuff so you can listen to it as a podcast, which is really handy if you're in the car. Why not spend some of that time when you're done listening to your JB content? Go into education mode. Switch from one type of Linux content to another type of Linux content. Your brain's already going to be in that gear. It's a really cool service. So I want you to go to, over to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. We've got that special discount for you. You'll see why you want the discount once you check them out. Go try out some of their courses. You can pick from seven plus Linux distributions. The courseware will match that distribution. The labs, when they spin up virtual machines for you, which is a really cool system. They, I, I got a little bit of the inside scoop on how it works, too. So I'm pretty impressed from like a system administration design standpoint, too, like how they have some of this stuff. It's damn impressive because they're really passionate about it. 
So I can respect that. And I know, like, what I love is, like, you, okay, the courseware, guess what? You need a virtual server? Boop, 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 they just spin it right up. Oh, whatever Linux distribution you chose, it's good to go. You get, it, you get an address on there, you can SSH from your desk, you know, so you get really great performance while you're working in the lab environment. It's crazy cool because they get you and they get Linux. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged program. Love hearing the success stories too, so keep sending those in as well. Those are great. All right, so I wanted to just cover uh, one more email. Uh, it comes in from Chuck, and this is kind of right. exciting. Uh, we've been kind of kicking back and forth different production software for Linux. And, of course, our doer gets mentioned all the time, as, as Audacity, uh, Oaken Audio got mentioned. But something yeah. really high-end, multi-track, do mixing, do audio, uh, like a, you know, a music kind of stuff. So Chuck writes in, he says, you mentioned our door being a little cumbersome. He says, I agree, I've used it for years. But when you need to do high-level production, production, you can't beat the latest offering from Bitwig. And uh, he links me to it, and I'm going to bring this up here in a second. He says, it's amazing. I use it for cleaning up podcasts, making production music, live DJ sessions by piping mix into it, and piping that out to IDJC. Just something worth checking into. It does have a, a hefty price tag. I thought, oh, okay, this might be interesting. What kind of – is this like some sort of like weird old uh, like – you know, a XUI kind of app for uh, for audio editing, and because I hear a lot of this, I, I hear a lot right. of this. Oh, you got to check this one out. It's really it's it's a good one, and then it's and never it looks like nineteen ninety five. Yeah, it's Cole. never a good one. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. exactly. No, man, yeah. this is a good one. I'm checking out. Uh, they they have a, a blog post up about their next version. The UI looks amazing, and uh, there's a little bit of a video here. I'm going to play, and I'll I'll just play just a little bit for the audio listeners. Don't worry, it won't go too long. But it's pretty cool, and it gives you an action if you're watching the video. It gives you a chance to see the UI in action, which is pretty sweet. So it's available for Windows, Mac, and Linux. It's called Bitwig Studio. Now here comes the UI. So there's the recording UI. Now you got, I don't know, for those of you who are watching the video version, this oh, wow. this is a super pro level UI that easily, easily matches Pro Tools or Apple's Logic easily. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's actually, yeah. wow. Yeah, like, yeah. I actually want to look into this. Yeah, this me too. Yeah, I'm geeking out right now. Yeah, this is, I'm looking at some of the audio uh, stuff. It's just so sweet. So Bitwig Studio. Whoa. This looks like one of the coolest audio editors I've ever seen on any platform. So I'm going to give it a look uh, probably later this week. Do they have a demo? I hope so. I'm sure they do. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It says demo on the page. Yeah. Anytime any big ticket item like yeah. this in software always has a demo. They, they just have to to survive. But that's just take my money. Wow. Yeah, I mean, like, I know, money. right? Should we see how much it is? Let's see if we can find out. Let's see. Uh, oh, it's on sale. So let's take a look. Let's see. It's on sale, guys. Jeez. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, actually, it's doable. You know, for a high end piece of production software, three hundred dollars. I guess no, that's actually I, less than I figured. I guess it's on that's, sale, so I don't. That's I don't know. about what I figured. Yeah, you know, if the demo worked out and everything, like I mean, honestly, three hundred dollars for really high end audio production a software that has a good solid UI on Linux. Exactly, and cross yeah. cross platform too. Yeah. That's I mean, huge. I'm all for it. Yeah, of course, I will keep watching. I would keep watching the open source software too, but this seems like a. Really nice. Yeah, piece of software. but this illustrates a, a real defining point. Of I love using open source apps, but honestly, I'm going to use the tool on Linux that works. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I just right. am. You yeah. know, yeah, that's just me. Hey, I want to give a couple of shout outs to two threads we have going in the Linux Action Show subreddit, and we could use your input. Uh, number one, first up, uh, producer Q5 sys created a thread. Your help needed coming up with a list of the best GNOME tweaks and extensions. Uh, and this will have linked in the feedback section of the Linux Unplugged show notes. It's also uh, currently sticky to the top of the subreddit. Uh, now, here's the thing. We've gotten a lot of extensions, which is cool. Like, I'm totally trolling it and, like, adding a few more extensions to my GNOME, which you know is a great idea. Uh, but we haven't gotten a lot of straight-up tweaks and hacks. Now, don't freak out. We're not going to try to say, hey, this is great ways to break your GNOME. But if we were going to have a little fun, like, if we're just, you know, hanging out and having some fun, what are kind of things that you do to GNOME to make it more better beyond just an extension. Now, extensions are welcome too, especially if they're not well-known. We'll have it linked in the show notes. Uh, there is some uh, future content coming down the road that may uh, may use your answer. I'll just put that out there. Q5, anything you want to – did he leave? He left. Oh, okay. Not really. He's kind of still here. Yeah. Well, he he, had, he can chime in later if there's anything he wanted to add to that. Yeah. No, uh, I just dropped into another channel because of mic issues. Oh, okay. Um, but- is, yeah, is there anything you wanted to add to my uh, coverage of your uh, thread there? Is that good? Uh, just basically, yeah. You know, we're looking for more than just extensions. 
Yeah. Okay. If that's other applications or other things that you know work well with GNOME that make you enhance the desktop experience, we want to know about it. I got a hack. It's called Cinnamon. Oh. Yeah, I was going to say Mate. Mate. Yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, okay. Next thread I want to give a little attention to. Uh, which AUR helper do you guys use? I wanted to give a link out to this because we might do a roundup of this uh, very soon. And I wanted to kind of get everybody's input. Right now, PackAUR is leading the pack. I'm surprised how many people are saying your word, you masochists. Uh, so go over to there and uh, put your uh, your comments in there. Any other kind of like Pac-Man uh, tricks and techniques you have? Yes, I know it's Arch-specific. Don't worry. Don't get you. We're going to do it for other distros too, but we're just experimenting with it because XOO started up and I thought, hey, you know what? Let's do this. So we're going to do a roundup of some of the tips and advice people give in there. And then we'll do it again for future distributions as well. So don't worry. I'm sure. I'm sure. Next up on the list will be one of them Debian-based distributions. I hear those are popular. I hear people like to use those. <laughs> no, it's a myth. Aren't you on fourteen oh four Ubuntu Mate edition right now? I am, and I'm yeah. proud of it. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I mean, I'm no, that's quite funny. happy with it. Yeah. No, and, it's definitely. Uh, you have a rough different. count to how many PPAs uh, you have set I up right now? Two on this oh. machine. This oh. is my. I think maybe two. I that's just don't bad. use yeah. that much stuff. That's um, not bad. That's not bad. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Maybe three. Maybe three. Uh, so uh, I, I guess uh, I see. Here's, here was my most recent run with I, uh, an Ubuntu-based machine. Is I did 15.04 Alpha 2 or whatever it is to get the uh-huh. latest KDE Plasma, and I had about right. three or four PPAs. And within within about two weeks of using it, I was getting a 404 on one of my PPAs. Uh oh. I don't know. I just that just drives me crazy. It's a small complaint. It's not a big deal, but it's a great OS. And uh, yeah, well, and it's something I would like to see evolve because I'd love to see the PPA system evolve into something better. I'm definitely open to that. That'd be awesome. What I find to be pretty interesting is I don't know if you saw that Dell's going to be uh, shipping a couple of Linux laptops, and right. uh, one we knew about, and another one that's uh, it's a larger laptop. And on both laptops, they're going to use Ubuntu 14.04. Not surprised. I mean, because a lot of times people, when they're buying a system, if they're buying it pre-installed, they probably don't give a rip about Bleeding Edge. Um, they probably just want it to work, theoretically. Yeah. yeah. And like, so that makes sense from – and from a support perspective. But here's what's interesting well. about the decision. The kernel in 14.04 doesn't have Thunderbolt support. So the laptop will be shipping with an unusable Thunderbolt port that may get updated later in 14.04. Again, thinking of the fact that it's who's buying the laptop and what their general yeah, I audience think it's is. Interesting. I just think it's interesting. I think I think it's still yeah. I think it's it's something that hopefully they disclose clearly because that could definitely be a real problem if they're boasting the port and then it doesn't work. That's I, a big no. I think it means fourteen oh four is a, is a clear winner. I think. I mean, I guess yeah. they couldn't really ship it with fourteen ten really, but yeah, I just. Uh, well, and how does Dell do that? So it's like okay, so they're presenting this n- new laptop. They've got this. They've got this uh, port. They're you know probably talking about. Do they disclose that in their materials and they say must, like, by the right? way? I would hope so. Just hope so. Yeah. Uh, Wizard Jed, you wanted to toss in if you know you found yourself in this position. There is an option, yeah. right? I actually, I actually had this problem itself. I needed uh, three point sixteen, and I could not go and use the kernel that was in fourteen oh four itself, and. Anyway, so to go and get it, you there's actually uh, there's actually backported kernels themselves inside of every single LTS for every uh, version above it. I didn't know about that, but that's something you got to go and read the Ubuntu wiki about. Ah, well, here's good news. Huh. And I, I yeah. was wondering if this is true. I knew they were going to do hardware enablements for 1404. Well, JB Live, who just joined the chat room, said that uh, there's going to be a hardware enablement stack in 14.04.2, which will be released in a couple of days. So that works, right? So pretty much by the time anybody gets their hands on these, the update will be out. So once you get your machine and you install an update, you'll be okay. It's not so bad at all. Yeah, you reboot and you'll have Thunderbolt. Hey, isn't that kind of magic? See, 14.04, I tell you, it's it's a pretty solid release. Uh, all right, Matt. Well, hey, guess what? Uh, we're going to do a recap of FOSDEM, a, a conference that I think uh, this is almost – I'm almost going to run out of excuses why I can't go, especially since I'm going to be going to Canada soon. But first, I want to tell you about the great folks over at DigitalOcean who are now rocking FreeBSD, CoreOS, and a bunch of other great distributions. Head over to DigitalOcean.com right now to spin yourself up your own server up in the cloud that you get root access to in less than a minute. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and simple way to spin up your own server. It feels like I am the master orchestrator of my own data center. And here's what you get in less than a minute for $5 a month. Just go over there. I mean, it's crazy, right? Think about that. Less than a minute. And for $5 a month, 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. Like I always mention, 
if you're like me. I'm not even kidding. I like data center porn so much that I, I stop. <laughs> I really do. And that's why I always mention the DigitalOcean as the pictures of their data centers up on their Instagram and their G Plus feeds. So here's, here's how I am. I, I, uh, I, I went over to – there's a brand new hotel that just opened up here in Smoky Point. And I kind of wanted to check it out because I think we're going to be sending the host there when they arrive. I'm not sure. We might move – hotels, right? Because this is brand new and it's fun for the, when people come in out of town to stay in a new hotel. That's a nice thing, right? And so I got to go check it out. I got to check out the Wi-Fi, right? I, I go. I got to go make sure the crew is going to be taken care of when they come in for Linux Fest Northwest. These are the things you do as, in, as a podcaster, apparently. So I go over to this Best Western and I'm, I'm walking around and I, I'm, I'm kind of getting the, you know, the lay of the land. I'm looking where the conference centers were. And uh, the guy, that, the manager who's running the place, he happens to walk out. And I start asking him questions about the infrastructure. And I say, hey, can I see your server closet? And he actually lets me in. And I start, you know, Whoa. I mentioned I used to work in IT. So I'd warmed him up a little yeah. bit. But I'm such, I, I, I just, I'm so interested in how people have their setups. I mean, like, it's just the coolest thing to see how different people do their configs. So I got him to show me the server room. And I'm like, okay, this is pretty great. It's not exactly what I expected. I'm like, you're not managing all your telco and Wi-Fi equipment here right that must be in a different room he's like yeah that's the upstairs and so we then we go up we ride the elevator up a couple of floors and i go look at their telco closet and it was you know i was like this is awesome i mean so that's why i'm always over the digital ocean page checking out some of their pictures because not only do i appreciate the fact that all of their technology is running on linux which i love sitting on top of kvm which is the boss all on top of those ssd drives that digital ocean invested in, and then they connected to tier one bandwidth in those data centers all over the world with this interface right this super simple intuitive interface which is really simple. I mean, it's so amazing like how you can move a machine between data centers, back it up and restore that snapshot, create a machine based off another snapshot, do DNS management, set up SSH keys, HTML5 console, like, but it's like crazy in your face easy. And on top of all of that, all that power, like if you want to get nitty gritty, can be replicated with their straightforward API. And people would just be building apps like crazy for that. So you can take advantage of that too. So go check out DigitalOcean. But here's the thing. This is what you got to do. You got to support your favorite Unplugged, right? This is your favorite talk show, Linux Unplugged. You got to support that. So use the promo code DOUnplugged. That'll give you a $10 credit over DigitalOcean, which is really nice too. And I like this a lot is you can kind of get started without even having a credit card because you can just apply in a balance. So if you've got a couple of bucks in your PayPal account, you just pop that into your DigitalOcean account. But you can get started for free with our $10 promo code. Try out the $5 rig. Two, two months, $5 rig. That's awesome, right? Do unplugged? Go build out own cloud. Go play with CoreOS. Go try out BitTorrent Sync. Why not do Sync thing? I mean, GitHub or GitLab, Ghost. I mean, the list. I mean, the crazy list goes on, and there's a bunch of one-click deployments too. I could, I could just go on and on how great it is, and how it's for me. Like, whenever I just know I need, okay, I need a Linux rig to do something, I just spin it up right there. I'll tell you. And when you're running something for clients, and you're like, okay, well, I don't necessarily want to run anything on their stuff initially. I want to run it on mine. Transfer it over. Makes transfers easy. DigitalOcean.com, D-O unplugged, all lowercase, one word, when your face is over at DigitalOcean. And a big thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring our faces. So FOSDEM 15 wrapped up a free software event for developers to meet, share ideas, and collaborate. They say every year thousands of developers of free and open source software from all over the world gather an event in Brussels. I wish I was there. Uh, but <laughs> Popey was there, and uh, I've been, I've been, Popey's been trying to tell me about it all morning, and I said, Popey, save it for the show. Don't tell me anything, Popey. <laughs> uh, so, Popey, I've got to start. I'll ask Alan's question. Did you see the BSD people at Fosdom? No, not a single one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Alan. <laughs> I probably did. I probably did. I probably bumped into them in the corridors. It's absolutely rammed. The place is... Thousands? Like is it really thousands loads. of people? So the biggest room they have uh, is um, a lecture hall. It happens at university in Brussels, and the, the biggest room they have holds officially 1,400 people. And it was pretty rammed on more than one occasion. Um, And all the other rooms get full as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of people there. It's a very, very busy conference. So it was... Yeah, like, I was just looking at it, and, you know, the conferences I'm used to, they're at most four talks going at once, and I think there are 24 happening at Fosdem at a time. Wow. Right, yeah. So they they have it split up into a number of tracks. So you've got, like, a desktop track, distributions track, Internet of Things track, Go track... You know, they've got developer, separate developer rooms for um, Mozilla, for Java, MySQL. You know, it, it's all grouped nicely, um, so you can, you know, you know where to go because a, a room is dedicated to a particular a particular topic. So if you're if you're MySQL heavy, you would you would go to that room, and if you're interested in most of the uh, the Mozilla talks, you'd go to that room. Um, but they have um, 
an app that you can put on your Android or iOS phone uh, and a website where you can see the entire schedule and you can bookmark the the uh, talks you want to go to and then your phone will you know ping you when when that talk's coming up. This so is really impressive. This is talk. this is like it's the best unbelievably system. well organized. Yeah, this is like the best system we've ever seen. Look at so this. There was lo- Look at loads this. Of talks this is incredible. I, I'd schedule. I, I'd put in my uh, bookmarks uh, on the way there. Um, what I what I wanted to go and see, and the the app updates over the air and lets you know, you know, when uh, when talks are going to be. Um, I I haven't been for like five six years, mm. and this is my first time for a while. And it's just as I remember it. It's you know information dense. There are a lot of very detailed talks. There are some high level ones, like a little introduction to what you know some project here or there is doing. But there are some detailed ones, and they cover a, a really wide gambit. You don't you don't have to be focused on just one topic. There's so much there. So I, I went to. Um, if I, I'll give you a, high, a few highlights of um, what I went to. One was um, uh, one from F Watch, uh, which is a GPS watch made from free software and free hardware. Cool. 3D printed case, um, components you can buy off the shelf to make your own GPS watch, make your own apps, uh, to have a thing on your wrist that you have total freedom over. That was cool. Um, I went to a talk from the, um, Tizen, not Tizen, um, Yola guys, actually, oh, yeah. both. A, t- a Tizen talk and a Yola talk about, uh, both had a talk about, uh, porting uh their platform to other devices mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. which was good to see mm-hmm. um one about uh, there was a there was a legal room which was surprisingly busy a bunch of lawyers standing talking about the intricacies of licensing uh was you know pretty rammed that room was uh, pretty densely packed all the time um, and that was interesting to listen to their interpretation of upcoming laws in both the EU and the US and mm. whether they will impact the validity of the GPL, which obviously is going to have an impact on lots of people at a free software conference. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that was pretty interesting. Um, and there was also one on in the legal room, there was one from, um, Bradley Kuhn who gave a retrospective of, um, a, a GPL violation that uh, he had to deal with. And it's a very interesting talk, and uh, it's called Fighting a GPL Violation by Coding Instead. So instead of suing someone, they fork and uh, and uh, continue developing under a different name. And the good news is that the FOSDEM organizers videotape all of these. Hmm. Uh, I say videotape, and I sound like I'm from the 80s, but they actually <laughs> record it onto SD cards or some <laughs> brand new technology I haven't ascertained yet. And they put them online. So you go to the Fosdem website and you can see a lot of these. But there's so many awesome talks. The one I think one of the most oversubscribed that I actually I couldn't actually get into the room. The room was full was uh Lennart's talk on System D. 2015 what's new in uh, System D. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been reported on in the press by people who were there. Yeah. People were like live tweeting uh, Lennart's talk. What does that make D. you think when you hear that? Right? Uh, uh, like, here's a here's somebody who live blogged it, and uh, he notes uh, that there was no slides, none whatsoever, no one, none whatsoever, no presentation. He just talked. Right. He had notes on his phone in front of him, I think. But yeah, no, no slides. He can just, you know, he, he's a bit of a superstar, isn't he? You know, when when yeah. you go to somewhere like Fosden, where there's, you know, a thousand or more people who want to get into a room and listen to this guy talk about something that's very fundamental to the, the platform that they're developing on or developing for. Of course, they want to listen to it. Um, it's, it's like our equivalent of queuing up around the corner to an Apple store to get a, a you know, a new iPhone. You queue up to listen to Leonard talk about what's mm. coming in a piece of software that he's developing hmm. it's, I, I think it's much the same thing really. i had a, a couple of just not to derail you because uh, i'm loving the uh, cover oh, sure i had a couple of uh, quick things that he did talk about because i know you didn't make it in the talk uh, so i just wanted to call out a couple of things uh, console d uh, support for higher dpi screens on the console uh, system ctl cat system ctl edit you can cat the config file of any unit so you don't have to know where the actual config file is but you can do system ctl cat apache 2 and it will just cat apache 2's config file wherever it is on the uh file system. That's something that's coming. Uh, Ping gateway. Automatically resolve the gateway of all interfaces and ping them. Very useful for network troubleshooting and questions like, am I online? The ping gateway gets resolved automatically. So you actually just type ping gateway at the command line and it will ping your gateway for you to see if your network is up. Uh, That's sweet. Here's a big one. Network D. Because networking is such a basic function of the OS, Lenart believes it should be part of system D. So they want to roll that in. Auditing, uh, improved application uh, auditing. Uh, he says it was for the NSA. Uh, can log all system calls made to Etsy password, etc. to the audit log. Uh, resolve D, add support for multiple resolvings. 
um, DNS cache per interface, journal D remote remoting, so a whole new remote system for the uh, journal D. The binary logger now gets remote support via HTTP. Uh, journal D has a pull and push model, pull HTTP get and request for JSON streams from the journal. Uh, push model, model pushes via an HTTP post request to the remote journal D instance, allows for simple implementations of programs like via PHP and Ruby to send data to remote journal D endpoints since it's just an HTTP post. They're talking about the log here, people. Uh, it could replace syslog. TimesyncD, the idea it's not to run NTPD on every device. It's very simple, trivial, not a server, as simple as possible, NTP client built into systemd. Automatic GPT partition table discovery. Uh, even if you don't have an Etsy FS, FS tab, uh, which might is which is sometimes absent on stateless systems. A lot of things going into systemd for uh, stateless systems. I'm giving you the highlights here. You can read more on the page. Uh, but it'll do auto-discovery of GPT, discover swap devices, uh, and root partitions, even without any flags in the Etsy FS tab. Uh, also, well, I'll tell you that the, the thing that's most exciting in that list for me is high DPI port in the console. Yeah. You know, being able to run Linux, uh, links web browser in a you know, high DPI mode <laughs> on, a, yeah. on a TTY is yeah. just you know, yeah. I've been I've been wanting that for years. Finally, right? Uh, the last one that's getting some controversy in our mumble room. Uh, they are discontinuing uh, read ahead. Uh, they say in the age of SSDs during boot. Uh, they don't really have it. None of the uh, systemd developers even have spinning hard drives. They all all systemd developers have SSDs, uh, so nobody really wanted to support it anymore, anyways. And they say the read ahead bits needed during the boot process aren't really needed with SSD drives anymore. So I'd agree with that. What about those of us who have spinning hard drives still? Uh, it's still well, so minimal. Exactly. They kind of pointed out that yeah, it didn't make enough of a difference to bother maintaining it, no. even you know, despite the fact that it was. Uh, there are people that are still going to not have SSD. Yeah, the main problem was is that it was read ahead only really gives you a bonus when the uh, whatever application that is benefiting from read ahead is programmed poorly. So mm-hmm. as people went and actually fixed the applications, it became less and less important. Yeah. Uh, so Popey, how was the uh, what was the culture like? Did you guys eat a lot? Was there a lot of beer or a lot of eating? So- it happens in Brussels, and Brussels has a reputation for having lots of beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, the conference uh, starts on the Friday evening, really. Everyone meets up at a bar called Delirium, uh, and uh, you need to get there early if you want to get a table. Otherwise, it's standing room only. And they have loads of different um, beers, many, many different types of beer, and it's all delicious. Uh, and it's great, because there's a great atmosphere in there, and you get to see uh, all the famous, you know, free software luminaries who all go there for a beer. Um, and in fact, it's so busy that I had to queue to get out of the bar. It oh was boy. that busy. Oh boy. It's, it's, it's completely rammed inside and rammed outside. And there's bars at Fosdem as well. So once you get to the actual venue at the oh. university, uh, there's bars there's at bars. the university. Oh yeah. Loads. Oh, hello. Uh, so, hello. Yeah. There's like, uh, street vendors selling, uh, Belgian waffles and, you know, other kind of food. And then, yeah, there's there's bars all around the place, so you can have a couple of beers while you're um, while you're watching a talk, or at the end of the day, wow, you know, relax and uh, wow. digest, you know. That, so I just wow. wanted to to mention a couple of uh, yeah, it's a very different culture. It, that's one of the reasons. Yeah, that's part of the culture of Fosdem is you know it's it's very in, information dense in places, that's but great. equally, yeah, it's very social. Yeah, it's a very very social. Yeah, I love that uh, social yeah. meetup. So I just wanted to mention a couple of other things that are worth uh, looking up if you can if if you find the videos. One of them was a, a talk that I th- I was surprised I I I didn't think it would be spun out for twenty five minutes. I thought, wow, this is going to be five minutes and we're going to be out of here. And it's by um, a guy called Daniel Stenberg, and he's the author of Curl. You may be aware of Curl, you know mm-hmm. the uh, command line tool that allows you to uh, communicate with servers and. It was really interesting because I didn't realize how widely curl was used. Oh, sure. And, oh, it's and what it can do. Yeah. And, you know, there's millions and millions of installations. Every company uses it. Probably every person in the room in his, in the guy's talk had a device that had curl or libcurl on it. That was, it was quite interesting to learn, you know, the ubiquity of something like curl. Right. And the final one that I wanted to mention was, um, a guy called Ryan McDonald, who gave a talk called Living on Mars, A Beginner's Guide. And it was the closing keynote. And yeah. the, the room was rammed with over a thousand people, I would say. And it was all about how he's applied for a position on the Mars One uh, mission to go on one-way trip to Mars. 
and he talked all about the plan and uh, the preparation and some of the pitfalls, but also how they're using uh, open source in the whole project uh, cool. on Mars. Cool. It was brilliant. It was if if any video you should look up, look up that one. It's very it's very positive, very forward looking. Actually, made me think that mankind isn't completely the, uh, living on Mars. Uh, I will have it uh, linked in the show notes. I just found it. Good one, Poby. So that was that. Was that your favorite keynote? Uh, yeah, that was one of them. I mean, they were all brilliant, and I've got so much to to think about. And I took loads of notes, and I learned lots as well. So, um, and I I took on board lots of information from other communities as well. So mm. I wasn't just sat in the Ubuntu room all the time. Mm-hmm. I I learned a lot from Tizen, from Yola, from Mozilla, and from lots of other projects as well. So it was it was totally worthwhile. Well, going, if and I'd that, highly recommend anyone goes. If that was on the West Coast, would you travel the distance to go to it on the West Coast here in the United States? If someone else paid, yes. Okay. Somebody else paid. That's always the trick, isn't it? <laughs> yep. Well, that's – I really want to go. And so they do a course every year. Yep. It's, at the, it's in the beginning of uh, February. It gets announced kind of mid midway through the year, like August time or something like that. And everyone starts booking their hotels or their train or their, their plane journey pretty early on. Um, all the public transport in uh, – <laughs> it's funny. You go and stand at a bus stop – in uh, in Brussels, and it's just nerds everywhere. Um, and it's quite amusing when they get on the the bus; they're all trying to figure out how to use the ticket machine, sure. and you can spot the newbies who are getting on the bus at the wrong end and oh, that kind of stuff. That would be me. It's, that would be me. It's quite hilarious. Yeah, yeah, it was me as well. <laughs> well, good. I jeez, I uh, I hope that more of the videos come out. I, I when I looked around on YouTube this morning, I saw a uh, a lot of uh, from 2014. I haven't seen a lot from 2015, but I, I did see a couple. Right. Well, I mean, as, as Alan said, there's so many tracks, so much video content they've got to get online. I would think they're, you know, just about now, a couple of days later, having a hangover recovery, and uh, they'll start getting them online soon. Uh, so before we uh, totally move off, uh, just one quick SystemD thing. Uh, there's also a blog up uh, on how uh, Plasma Desktop will use SystemD. And in short, they're going to rely on LogInD for a lot of things, uh, and including uh, device management uh, and the inhibitor locks that LogInD offers where uh, devices can get root a- – something like the login manager can get root access to the keyboard and mouse without making it available to other applications. Uh, they'll probably take advantage of time date D uh, and other things. So user units, so quite a bit of things coming uh, in down the road for KDE relying on System D too. So twenty fifteen, yeah, and they, the KDE stand was um, was quite busy. There's a bunch of stands, obviously yeah. exhibition area, yeah, and uh, they had a few uh, PCs out with um, the latest version of Kubuntu with Plasma on it, and I had a little play with that. Nice, um, it's nice to say hello to them and all the other projects that were there. It was really good. Did they recognize you? Uh, a couple of them did, but yeah. you know, I keep a low profile. Did, try and did wear people recognize your something. voice? Like once you open up uh, your no, mouth, they're like, like, "Oh, are you Poppy?" <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not as well known as you think I am. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. I bet. I bet. I, I, I was waiting for Alan to flip a table on that System D with KDE stuff. Well, they're working yeah. on they're working on their <laughs> uh, shim. They're, you know, they got a shim. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, all right. Well, Poppy, that was a that was a great update. Thank you very much. I'm uh, Totes no Jelly. Totes Jelly. Uh, all right. Well, uh, so I know something that's on the been on the back of my mind all week. I don't know. It's got me sp- a special kind of excited. I'm also curious to see what producer Q5 says thinks because uh, he's a big Raspberry Pi fan. The new Raspberry Pi 2 is out and uh, we're going to talk about it here in a second. But first, I got to mention my buddies over at Ting. You know, I got a t- I got a Ting device now for like two freaking years and it's unbelievable how much money I've saved. It's like $2,000. Uh, I should take that savings and buy Bitcoin right now. While it's on. I think it, isn't Bitcoin on sale right now still? I think there's still a Bitcoin sale going on. I think it is. On. Yeah. So I could take I some of my Ting so savings. So. Yeah. Buy up some of them Bitcoins. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Ting is mobile that makes sense. And the reason why I say that is because they're finally doing it right. There's no contract and you just pay for what you use. It's, so you, you pay for a $6 just to have the line. That's it. Just $6. $6, okay? And then it's just your usage on top of that. You turn on hotspot, you just pay for the data. It's not a big deal. Uh, and they have a great dashboard so you can manage all of it. I like that a lot too because that's always been sufficient for me. But they even have no whole customer service if the dashboard won't do it. Here's what I want you to do. Go to linux.ting.com. Not only do you get to put Linux in your URL bar, which is always good for your internet history, and you know it. You know you need to sanitize that by putting some tech stuff in there. Linux.ting.com, okay? That'll give you $25 off your first Ting device. Oh, oh you got a Ting-compatible device because you checked their BYOD page? Good news, my friend. They'll give you a $25 credit. That'll probably pay for your first month. It did for mine. Uh, I've got three devices right now. I think my bill's around $35, 37 bucks usually. That's great. 
It's great. Go to linux.ting.com and go check out their blog too. They've always got some great stuff over there. I, I'm, you know, as somebody who's a Ting fan for a long time now, I'm always like, is Ting feeling the heat? Well, guess what? People have been wondering that and Ting answered. So I thought we'd play a little bit of that. Kyle asks, is it easy being Ting? And do you feel heat from the other carriers for being different? Well, I think there's two things there. One, it is incredibly easy being Ting. You know, I think what would what we can't imagine is how hard it would be to be one of the big traditional telecoms. Now, for us, all we're trying to do is save people money and make them happy. That is really, really easy to do. Uh, sort of trying to trick them, fool them, not provide great value, that would be hard. And the good news is we're still well small enough that they don't notice us at all. Now, I think that uh, uh, we certainly do get noticed for some of our innovation, but we're not threatening anybody yet. We have to get many times bigger before that's true. Go to linux.ting.com. It's a linux.ting.com. That's actually the lyrics to that song, Matt. Did you know that? I thought it was. Yeah. I mean, the jingle just gets stuck in your head, and I'm humming it all day long. Linux.ting.com. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged Show. Guys, go check them out. I've been really happy for a long time, and they're adding GSM support soon, which is going to be making like the mega carrier. That is so exciting. It's going to be interesting to see who basically says, oh, hey, wait a minute. I got one of those phones. Yeah. I ran it through the compatibility thing. That's hey, right. this could work. Hey, oh. uh, they, in fact, they're also giving out uh, some, uh, which, oh, God, this is the phone I want so bad, the Moto X2. It's the new Motorola X with the 5-inch screen. They're giving out some of those for oh. people who sign up for the Ting GSM beta. You can find out more on their blog. Ooh. Oh, Ooh. so bad. Oh, no kidding, bad. right? Hey, Matt, did you see that there's a new yeah. Raspberry Pi? Oh, man. I see it. I've been living it. I've been, mm. like, trying to come up with use case scenarios on why I should just buy it. Well, here's <laughs> what we know. Okay, so it's still going to be the same $35. It's still the same about shape and size as the Raspberry Pi yeah. D. Uh, it's got a quad-core 900 megahertz ARM A7 CPU. They, they say about six times the performance. I've heard speculation otherwise. Uh, one gigabyte of memory. It's a 2x improvement over the uh, previous model. And it is uh, totes compatible with the uh, Raspberry Pi 1 as far as the GPIO pin layout goes. And because you got yourself an ARM 7 process in there, you're going to get yourself a lot more serious things like Ubuntu Snappy Core, more different versions of Android. And ladies and gentlemen, wait for it. You guessed it. That's right. Windows Proprietary software 10. is not ethical. Yeah, it's Ooh. gonna be able to run Windows 10. Ooh, that's gonna sting a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. But uh, you know, the B&B and then I think people will be like, "Oh, this is horrible." This I get, is, look at this UI. I get my, I get my Raspberry. It's too much. They got too much going on, and they released the B plus not that long ago, and now they have this one. I don't. I mean, eh, whatever. But uh, well, it'll be Windows 10 Chump Edition, obviously. I mean, that's probably what it's going to be on there. So Bentley, I'll open the floor to you, sir. Yeah, I like I said on Coda Radio, I don't like it. it I think the having Windows on it was awfully not good for open source. And it seems like the first step in Microsoft's whole, um, the three years I'm not remembering off the top of my head. Embrace, extend, extinguish. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I guess so. I, I don't think so. I think it's actually going to make Microsoft look like a chump. I think it's going to be a clown show. They're going to show up late to the party. They don't even have shipping code right now, right? Linux has already had shipping code for years. They have a totally mature ecosystem around it. Uh, Windows is going to come to the party. Is it even going to have a GUI? Do we even know if it'll have a GUI or is it just going to be a command line version of Windows? So what's it going to run? What apps is it going to run? Who's going to make apps exactly. for Windows on an, on one ARM device? Now, it's not going to be one ARM device for long, but let's be serious. It's like Raspberry Pis running Linux are production ready to be like the glue that holds the Internet of Things together or like this weird web server that runs your coffee machine or like this thing that's your XBMC media entertainment system. They've been there for a while now, right? Windows 10 is showing up way late. It's like everything Microsoft does. They're just way late these days. And it's, it's going to, you know, a few people will use it. It'll probably show up at a few high schools. For, you know, a few high school teachers will use it and, uh, you know, students will use it. It's fine. It's fine. But it's not, it's not serious. I, I'm not worried about it at all. I think it's going to be a joke. I do like the irony of the fact that you're pointing out, hey, hey, has it even got a GUI? Isn't it just a command line version? Which is exactly what they used to say to us like well, 10, 15 yeah. years why ago. I, here's why I bring that up because there is an expectation with Windows. Right with Linux, that's maybe the advantage on a Raspberry Pi is no GUI. But with Windows, like y- you tell me, I can run Windows 10 on it. Well, I'm starting to get a picture of the modern UI and my Start menu. Like I'm starting to visualize well, Explorer windows. 
Yeah, but people are using the Raspberry Pi for the wrong thing. They're using it as a cheap computer, a cheap desktop computer, and that's just not what the Raspberry Pi was about. It was about teaching people how to program, teaching people how to code. It's not about running a desktop operating system and browsing Facebook on a cheap computer. Yeah, no, I guess that's what uh, stream PCs and uh, Chromebooks are for. Uh, Mr. Q5Sys, you're a resident uh, Raspberry Pi fan. What are your thoughts on the new fancy Raspberry Pi? Uh, For me, it's uh, too little too late. Um, As I mentioned in Coder Radio, I don't see why anyone would go out and buy this if they're actually looking for a decent system other than if you're just already a Raspberry Pi fan. Um, The Raspberry Pi 2 specs are actually less than what you can get if you get the Odroid C1, and they're the exact same price. They're actually even the same form factor. You can use the same cases and accessories between them. Uh, the Raspberry Pi 2 does come with the quad-core 900 um, megahertz chip, which people have claimed will reach 1.1 with a mild overclock. Um, whereas the uh, Odroid C1, it comes at 1.5 gigahertz, still a quad-core, but it's been overclocked to 1.7. Uh, for me, the biggest drawback on the RPI 2, the Raspberry Pi 2, is that it's still 100 megabit networking. The, um, yeah. the Odroid C1 has gigabit. Now, it's not a full, absolute 100% gigabit. Um, I actually reached out to Jason, the lead developer with um, the Arch Linux ARM port, and talked to him, and he's talked with the hard kernel devs. Um, he was trying to get me the actual um, throughput from them before today's show, but kind of had a communication disconnect. But he said that in his um, recollection that with um, iPerf, that the Odroid C1 will do 400 megabit up and 900 down. Hmm. Um, yeah, the, the, biggest, the, the NIC is so a big thing. It seems like thing. the NIC is a full gigabit. It's just the processor can't handle yeah, the, probably. the event Correct. stuff. And there the might biggest, be some optimizations you can do there, uh, You know, some tuning that can happen later on that might improve that. Yeah, the biggest question that's been going around in Raspberry Pi circles itself is, okay, why did they drop this... Raspberry Pi 2, just a few months after they dropped the B+, Plus, yeah, because yeah. we all went out and just bought the B+, because it was the newest one, and now, oh, look, there's another one, and this is what we wanted to buy, but they didn't give it to us. And here's where some good old conspiracy bacon comes in, because there's two prevailing theories. One is that they took a page from Apple's handbook and put out the B+, Plus, so everybody went out and bought it, and then when everyone realized that it had shortcomings, they then released the actual item which everybody wanted, so everybody would go out and buy it the second time. The second theory is that the Raspberry Pi 2 was actually slated for a later release, either later this year or early 2016, and the reason that the Raspberry Pi Foundation pushed it forward was to try to actually take back any market segment that Odroid would claim with their C1 device. Hmm. I mean, I don't know. I don't buy that. that. I imagine the B Plus was probably later than intended. And then because of other things like, you know, we saw the Beagle Bone and there's like yeah. a, a hundred of these little devices now that they decided to try to rush the Yeah, to. and I mean, it's not like... I don't buy it at oh. all. Oh. The, Pi, the Pi 2 has been under development for a while now. They've, they've been working on that with Microsoft and with other partners as well for some time. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't buy that there's there's any... Um, I, I don't buy there's, there's a significant uh, competition from the Odroid at all. I, I think Odroid is big in geek circles, but Raspberry Pi have a massive mind share in educational sector, yeah. which is where they which is where they target. Well, and I just yeah, wanted, and I think I want to just mention we're not talking about four hundred dollar iPads; we're talking about thirty five dollar Raspberry Pis. Yeah, and I think that is the why Windows is kind of getting involved is because they're looking at this as something that they can bundle and package for education. They can you know get a bunch of them, have a Windows version for it and sell thousands and thousands of them direct to school boards, school systems as here's something you can deploy instead of go and buy these units by yourself and then you go ahead and set them up and do all that. That's where I worry about Microsoft coming in because they've got the money and resources to kind of do a complete package like that to sell them and market them in mass quantities and to kind of do it. They can work with a, you know, a reseller and, uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a little bit harder for the Linux side. But I think when you look at the momentum where Linux is the platform that runs across all these different devices, not just Raspberry Pi, it's got the years of development ahead of Windows, just the momentum there will keep the Raspberry Pi running Linux in the majority forever, I think. But I, I agree. I think there are going to be some areas that are susceptible to Windows running on the Pi because of Microsoft's ability to organize those kinds of things. Well, it does I'm seem like it's something that's old hat form, you know. Mm-hmm. 
the, the integration with their platform. You know, there, there will be developers out there who are already .NET developers using Visual Studio on Windows, and they want something which is yeah, a, yeah. a portable embedded system. And the first place they turn is Windows. Yeah. So for them, it's perfect. For people like us, where the first place we turn is right. What can I find that runs Linux? They'll go. <laughs> you'll go Odroid, Raspberry Pi. You know, Beaglebone Black, and a whole bunch of others. And we we've got a lot of options. Raspberry Pi seems to be the only option if Windows is what you want. For now, at least, I can't imagine that'll last. Well, then there's there's the the Intel Minnow board and a couple of others, but yeah. there's not a huge a huge selection nowhere near as huge a selection as we have we have a lot more choice there which is ironic really i think that this is just the first step Uh, since uh, nadea has come on board with microsoft they seem to be back in their habit of looking to the long-term goals and not just the short-term things and i think that on the raspberry pi 2 that this is microsoft's perhaps their first step into the arm market i fully expect them to create more trimmed down versions for some of the older uh, Raspberry Pis, and I wouldn't be surprised if they don't actually put out a version for some of the stronger uh, ARM boards out there, like the new NVIDIA TK1 that mm. has the Tegra CPU and 192 CUDA cores, yeah. and it's a you know system on a chip, small board, small form factor. Bam, chicken, wow, Could be. Wow. Yeah, good uh-huh. well. Uh, all right, Colonel Linux, you have something you wanted to add. Uh, I just wanted to get in there that every other time in history when Microsoft has tried to scale Windows down... Hmm. They've always seemed to fail. Like when they try and put it into like Windows CE or, or Windows Mobile, those kind of things don't seem to work. Whereas Linux has always been because it, it by nature it exists very very small, and we scale it up to meet needs, and that has always seemed to work very well. But when we need it to to remain small, when we need it to be able to fit on a small embedded device, it's always done very very yeah, well. Very true. It seems to be a, you know the fundamental way Windows is built. They have to they have to tear it down to make it work. Whereas Linux, you build it up. You build up. Right. Uh, and, that, and that approach is even in, even apparent. Like I definitely noticed that as a difference in philosophy when I switched from Windows administration to Linux administration full time. And the security model back then on Windows was sort of open by default, secure one by one by going through a checklist of group policy settings and all these kinds of things. And on Linux, it was ports are closed by default and you open them up when you need them and those kinds of things. It's the same kind of philosophy only in how the whole system is built. We'll see. I, I'm not – so I'm not too worried about it. But uh, guys, anybody, any other thoughts on the, ras- the new Raspberry Pi or Windows running on it? Windows 10? I've, not even out I've yet. ordered one, so I'll let you know when oh, it good. in a couple of days. <laughs> I want one too. I was tempted by it too. I'm just not sure what I would use it for. So uh, the really nice thing about the whole thing is is that the VC4 driver that there's so much work has been pushed into is going to work on the Pi 2 because that is the one thing that when I heard the Pi 2, I thought, oh my goodness, I hope that they don't just throw all that work that someone did reverse engineering the Pi's graphics for for nothing. And it's going to be there. So so it's improved graphics, though, but it's just the same driver? It'll, it's, it'll be, it'll, it's a free graphics driver. The VC4 is the, uh, the reverse engineered open source graphics driver gotcha. that was made for the Pi. Yeah. Well, if anybody out there tries with Windows 10, let us know how it goes. I guess. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Hey, that'd be a good spot to send in any kind of feedback for the Linux Unplugged show. Just go over there. Send it in to us. I, I kind of want one, Matt, but uh, maybe if I could come up with a good segment idea. I, I think that, yeah. I mean, 35 I think bucks isn't bad. It's not bad. And I think, honestly, you want to set it in front of people that aren't geeky, that perhaps are thinking, yeah, you know, I could use a new computer, but I don't have, you know, 500 bucks to spend. Da, 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 da. If you can park it in, someone at, in front of someone that really gets value from it, that would be really cool to see. If it really is six times the performance, too. Well, and how many cores did uh, it was like? Uh, four, yeah. Four, yeah. yeah. So At uh, 900 yeah. megahertz. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it just depends on what kind of a desktop environment you're running yeah. and uh, how you're rocking. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And how it launches a browser. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's that's how, how that's Facebook it. pages load, right? That's what's going to be uh, for that's some right. people. But I look at this and I think, uh, you know, the Pi itself was already a pretty competent media machine. You give yes. it something more performance, uh, I think that could be something really interesting here. Well, and you bundle that with YouTube switch to uh, HTML5 from Flash, thank God. Um, yeah. You know, it makes life knows? a little bit easier on the ARM side, doesn't it? It does. Yes, it does. Interesting. Well, there you go. All right, so if you'd like to help contribute to any of our shows, there's a couple of ways you can do it, and we'd love to have you help. Uh, Something I don't mention too often on this show, but as we are spinning up the How To Linux show, we'll be funding the launch of that via our Patreon. We decided initially that uh, we're not going to do sponsorships on the new show. 
Uh, we've had offers too, which is super uh, rewarding to have sponsors just sort of preemptively say, hey, we'd love to sponsor that. But what we've decided to do is be genuine to just as tight of a focus on the content as we can initially. And we have some runway because of our Patreon model. This is the Jupiter Broadcasting Network is sort of multifunded. We have sponsors and then we have the audience funding. And that gives a sort of leverage to opt not to have sponsors or be picky with the sponsors mm-hmm. and sometimes launch shows without sponsors. And we could do that even more if we have more support. We're kind of getting to a point where we need a little more help from the community to take on some of the future expenses like How to Linux. And uh, we may eventually, depending on how that show goes, if it really sees a lot of traction, spin that off into its own Patreon just so that way that's sort of easily distinguished all on its own. But yeah. initially, as we sort of get things going and we take that cost on, we could use your help over at patreon.com slash today. You have the Tech Talk Today video on there, but this funds all of the shows on the network. Tech Talk Today is a daily tech show that I do to sort of say thank you to the patrons. There's also behind-the-scenes videos over there, including the death of the last Hackintosh in the Jupiter Broadcasting Studio is available <laughs> to people who support us over at patreon.com slash today. So that's one way, direct value right there. That's obviously another way you can – that's like the, the most direct way you can support us. You can also help content-wise, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. Submit links, app suggestions, comments, and votes. That feeds both the Linux Action Show – and that feeds Linux Unplugged. And in some ways, it also is going to be feeding How to Linux. So that's a really important nexus point you can go that helps contribute to all of the shows, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. You can also join us live. We do this show live Tuesdays, Pacific, over at jblive.tv. Uh, and you can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your local time zone. I'd love to have you join us. We have an open mumble room. We call it our virtual lug. And uh, it's available to you to come take advantage and uh, tell us about the things that are on your mind in the Linux ecosystem. We also do pre and post shows where it's just kind of an open mic and we chat. So jblive.tv, you can go in there, get the mumble room information and join us. Also hang out in the chat room, help name the show. It's a good experience and it happens every single freaking Tuesday. We'll do episode 79 next week, Matt. Are you... uh, are you feeling like 80 around the horizon? I'm feeling it a little bit. It does feel like it. it yeah, it's uh, you near. Know, I have days to where I feel 80, but it'll be nice to have uh, celebrate 80 in a more oh, positive wait. light. Oh, wait. Nope. You know what? That was a little gas. I'm sorry. I thought that was 80. <laughs> that was just a little bit of gas. All right, oh, no. All right everybody. Yep. Well, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. Go over to the contact page. Send us in your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll see you right back here next Tuesday. chance go bang suggest get your title suggestions in there while you still can we'll go boat here in a minute go boat go boat everybody hey uh, i saw a really cool video it doesn't work so well in audio but popey i don't know if you're you still here here? yep so i saw this great video that makes me want an ubuntu tablet real bad hang on i'm just i'm not actually watching the live stream no it's okay it's all right it's uh so uh pop Popusorin or whatever, Popusorin or whatever his name is. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, he made a video. Uh, let's see. When did he post this? On this I love uh, that video. Yeah, yesterday. It's brilliant. Yeah, this is really great. So watch. So those of you watching the video version, it's, it will be linked in the, if you're on the audio, but he sort of fades in and you realize he's running on the desktop and then he expands the app out and it all just kind of re-expands. I like it. It's nice. It's still a little touchy, it's but I'm, nicely, I'm digging it. It's a nicely edited video, actually, to gets me, show the gets me like, fired up. states of the app. Yeah. yeah. That's good. That's exactly the kind of advocacy you need. Because people, you know, they can wrap their brains around it. It looks really good. It's basically two guys who wrote that app. That, that music app, Andrew and Victor, wrote that with some designs from the design team. It's, I, I just love what they're doing. Yeah, that is really good. So I will, uh, I'll have a link to that in the uh, post-show show notes if uh, people uh, want to watch that. And I'll drop it in the chat right now. All right, okay, you guys got to go over to jbtitles.com. We got to vote on this thing. Chris, that Bitwig demo is a 145 megabyte dev file for Ubuntu, just so you know. <laughs> I'm sorry, did I laugh out loud? I'm not smart, but my bad. No, I'm sure it's an, I'm sure you can probably uh, arch it up pretty easy. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, so Pi to Win, that's not too bad. Fosdom Nerd Herds, that's not bad. Straight out of Fosdom. Oh, I kind of like that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, got to get a beat going. I kind of like that. That's kind of straight out of Fosdom. Poke little comes bit of NWA going yeah. on there. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. 
All right, go over the nice. titles. Go go boat, everybody. Yes. Gotta get you a grill. Gotta get you a grill. There we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going up. To, it's going up to the top of the charts right there. There it is. Very nice. Very nice. All right, guys. Well, I think we're gonna go with that. Boy, that was one of our easier also, titles. That was really easy. Something actually, I, something I didn't mention there. Have you ever seen a key signing party? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do those there. So they do this massive key signing party. It was going for like two hours i went into a talk and came out and the people were still there they're standing in a line yeah right so imagine like two lines of people facing each other like some kind of weird um country dancing thing right <laughs> yeah. where they're facing each other and they've all got these little notepads and they've all got their government issued id and they've all got their like printouts of their keys and stuff and when they've done when they've done someone they just move down the line and you move to the next one and they were just there for ages and ages all these people signing each other's keys it was yeah I, that's a good way to do it that's i good. wonder if keybase io would help with yeah that. yeah maybe all right well i guess it's time to put my pants back on yeah that'd be a good time yeah all right uh, guys thanks very much <laughs> good show Cheers, Chris. see you next week <laughs>